Let me see you put them up. Reach the sky, touch the stars up above, cause it's one time for the underdog. One time for the underdog. I'm Patrick host of Value Team, and today I'm going to share with you 15 mistakes I made as a CEO. Let me get into it. Point number one, not understanding the pendulum of decision-making process. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. When you're first getting started, you have to touch 100% of your decisions because you're the only employee. You don't have a lot of other people. Maybe you may have five employees. Maybe that 100% of decisions goes to 90% of decisions, 80% of the decisions, 70% of the decisions. The goal is to eventually get to 10% of the decisions for you to make. So why 10%? Because you have built the right amount of leaders and they're taking responsibility for 90% of the decisions and you'll run the five to 10% mark. Now, why is that? Some people like to know and make decisions for everything where you're not really building leaders and sometimes your leaders don't like that because you're not showing enough trust into them and knowing that they can do it and that's one of the mistakes you can make too early on but also sometimes as people just let go of all the decisions too early I don't need to be part of anything you make the decisions you make the decisions you make the decisions I made this mistake multiple times some had to do with contracting some had to do with verbiage some had to do with negotiations some had to do with relationship with vendors with carriers with partners with technology vendors I had a technology company that was upset because somebody prior to us was communicating with them and there was a miscommunication but the point is whatever that 10% is for you your goal is to get there when you do get there Never release all the decisions out. Know what you have to be a part of and still touch the main decisions to be made. Number two, just focusing on the positives. Let me explain to you what I mean by this. You don't want to talk negatives with your executive team or your leadership. It's always positive, positive. No, no, we're not going to focus on this positive, 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 because it's positive thinking, because we have to stay positive. Wrong. Positive thinking may be good for somebody that's in sales or somebody that's an independent contractor, real estate agent selling as a CEO. A big part of your job as a CEO is to take the negatives off of other people and you have to bring up the negatives. You have to talk about the crisis. You have to talk about the problems. Not everything can be positive all the time because first of all, it's not real, it's fake. And your people kind of see a level of fear and insecurity in you in not wanting to talk about the problems that's out there. Everyone knows the problem exists. Everybody, your folks working with you are not fools. They know it exists. You got to bring it up and talk to them. And you have no idea how many times when you bring up the negative, the crisis, the issue to talk to them about, they have so much respect for you because they say, wow, he's not afraid. She's not afraid. We like following him in the way he's leading us right now. Number three, hiring people you like. So many times people only hire people they like. It'll not only cost you a lot of money, normally it's a friend or a relative that you hire because you like them. It'll end up hurting you with the relationship, costing you money, confusing your peers. Some of your peers may sit there that are working with your employees and may say, you know what, this guy favors people, ends up hurting you. So don't just hire people you like. Hire the people that you're really looking for for whatever the position is. Number four, don't compromise the non-negotiable. Let me explain to you what this is. When you're dating and you're looking for somebody, you're going to have a few things that you are not willing to compromise, that no matter what it is, even if I like everything, I'm not willing to compromise the following three things. That's where I was at. I'm not compromising these three things. So I may date somebody and I like them. We have a lot of connection together. But if there was a few things, I am not compromising it. Everybody has that. In the world of business, I had a uh, meeting earlier on and I sat down and I said, I just want you to know this. I am very good in my decisions. Hey, Pat, we're doing this. Check. 
Can we do this with 401k matching? Check. Can we do this with health insurance? Check. Can we do this with health? Check. Can we do benefits program with this? Explain it to me. Can we do this with check, check, check? Can we do this? Nope. This is where I draw the line because this is part of my non-negotiable. Whoa, Patrick's pretty serious about this. Everything else, you just got to inform me. I may negotiate and say, I'm going to oh, come and uh, you know, have a call with them because I think I can negotiate a little bit more on this. I think they're winning right now. We got to get to the 50-50 part. But everything else that's part of the non-negotiable, I am not negotiating. This is where I draw the line. We're not going past this. Do not compromise your non-negotiable. Stick to that. It could be a cultural thing. It could be the standards you have, expectations you have. Don't compromise that because if you do it once, everybody else says, well, you did it with Mary. You did it with Johnny, you did it with Billy, how come you're not doing it with me? And then you have to explain yourself to everybody, then you lose your leadership influence that you have, and everybody's like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and that's going to hurt you and keep you up at night. So do not compromise your non-negotiable. You know exactly what those things are. Don't compromise. Next, second-guessing yourself. I second-guess myself multiple times in my career. But here's the key. If you look at the sentence, how I ended, it says, second-guessing yourself in areas you're an expert in. What does this mean? Look, there's areas that I'm not an expert in what I do second-guess myself. So if I'm second-guessing myself in areas I don't know a lot about, I bring a pool of people so we can make a decision together. And I'll bring three to five people and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And sometimes people that are disagreeing so I can kind of get the balancing on who's making the decision, right? But there are areas you are an expert in. There are areas that no one knows more than you. Do not second-guess yourself in those specific areas. Uh, I am in my fifth year as a CEO, I believe, fourth year as a CEO, and at this point it was like 2013, 2014, and we're going through an interesting time, challenging time, and a couple guys that work with me, they made me second guess myself, and I was constantly second guessing for about an 18 month period. That 18 month period, we grew, but we weren't growing at 100% or 75% rate, we were growing like 15, 20%. I said, no more second guessing. This is who PBD is in these areas. I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm an expert in, I'm gonna lead this way, I'm not, not negotiating, this is what my expertise is. All the other areas, if you wanna give feedback, sure, I'll get other people's feedback, but not in the areas that I, that you are an expert in. Do not second guess yourself in areas you're an expert in. And nobody who's a real CEO that's got 50 employees, 20 employees, 30 employees, you didn't get to that point by pure luck without being an expert in an area. You are an expert in an area. Trust your expertise. Next, speed of decision-making process. Look, there are some decisions you got to make and move on. And there are some decisions that take a little longer down. There was a decision I had to make that affected every department. And what I noticed all of a sudden was as I was not fully ready for the decision, in my mind, I was 90% there, but I wasn't 100%. It was a very big decision. All of a sudden I noticed every department was kind of not moving swiftly because everybody was waiting on me. This lasted three weeks. I had a meeting one day. I said, listen, I just want to let you guys know, here's my decision. This is what I'm doing. I'm not going back. Here's what we're doing moving forward. We're going with this. This is a decision. Every, you should have seen the look on everybody's face. Relieved, everybody said, Patrick, thank you so much for finally making this decision. We know it was tough, but we're glad you made this decision because everybody can now move on. So a lot of times you 
are hanging on to a decision thinking it only affects you, where in reality it's affecting so many different departments, they're just waiting on you to make a decision. So either no decision, yes decision, what is it, we're not doing it, but make sure you make a decision depending on what some of these things are and the timeline can hurt everybody in that organization. Next, taking uh, your eye off the money. Early on in my career, you're probably year two or year three. We're going, 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 I'm hiring, I'm hiring, I'm getting technology, investment, office, you know, marketing, big event, conference, speak, all these things on the market, I'm trying to get everything going with the company. Then one day I come in and my director of finance comes up and says, hey, I just want to show you the checking account where we're at. And she brings up that this was 2011, late 2011, early 2012. She brings a business checking account. I said, really? She said, yes, I just, I think you, should, you need to know this. And I looked at her, she looked a little concerned. I said, wow, we ought to be concerned. The account is very low. I had no idea the account was that low. I sat there and I said, wow, what do we need to do about this right now? Step back, made a list, everything we had to do, cut the few things that we had to cut, go out there and you know, drive sales every time you don't pay attention to money, it's normally because you're not paying attention to sales. I went and looked at everything, every behavior that I had to do to drive revenues back up, bum, 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 three, six months, we're back at it. We forexed the amount of savings we had in the account and we were good to go and we were solid. Now from there on, everything with data, with dollars, with numbers, I am paying attention to the money because we have to. If you don't, nobody cares more about the money in a company than you as a CEO. You gotta pay attention to the money because no one cares about the money more than you. Not the CFO, CMO, CEO, nobody. They're good at what they're doing, but nobody cares more about the money than the CEO of the company. Next, having uh, uh, outside counsel outside of your board, meaning when you build a business, and let's just say you get an investor, you have a board, right? This board is giving you advice on what to do, and here's what we do with this, and you have to go through the governance and all this stuff, and do you wanna do with this, do you wanna do with that? What do you feel about this? And they're all giving you feedback. And sometimes as you're dealing with board, the board wants you to take feedback. It's very weird dynamic. Let me explain to you. It's almost like a relationship where whoever is the, whoever's the leader of the relationship, somebody always leads a relationship. Sometimes it's a man, sometimes it's a woman, but somebody always leads a relationship. And the dynamics vary depending on whatever the relationship is. Say you are the person that's the leader of that relationship. If you get to a point where maybe you're second guessing a little too much, you're putting concern on everybody else. People don't mind you asking feedback, but a little too much makes them feel like you don't know if you're leading the organization in the right direction as well. So as you're dealing with board, ask questions, take feedback, but you gotta have an outside board outside of that that you are getting counsel on some of the stuff you're processing and you go into the board prepared. A Vistage is a great organization to be a part of. It's all over the world. You pay $1,200, $1,500 a month to sit with another eight other C executives, CEOs, CMOs, CEOs, and somebody who's the chairman of the board. You come into the Vistage group. They're all over the world. You'll come in, you say, here's what I'm ranking with my personal life, my marriage, my finances, my health, and there's one crisis that I want to talk to you guys and process together. Then you take the lead and everybody gives you feedback. I'm trying to raise money, we're about to lose money. So Vistage, YPOEO, there's a lot of them out there depending on what size of the organization you are. But you typically, my recommendation is to get a board outside of your existing board that you are reporting all the numbers to. And have enough of a position where you are willing to take, but at the same time you gotta be assertive so they know you're leading as well. Number nine, favoring people. Number nine is favoring people. Fav favoring people is very similar to hiring people you like. You'll have a team, you'll have people you work with, you'll have certain people that you favor. The moment favoritism takes place in an organization, you lose trust with a lot of other people. Like, let me give you an idea. Uh, I, I immediately had an environment where I realized, 
look, I had somebody that I liked and I wouldn't fire this person, wouldn't let her go. I moved her in five different departments and everybody started saying, Pat, we know you favor her, we know you like her, it's just not working out. Finally, I had to sit down and course direct them into a career. They told me what timeline they have. They finally chose a career that they were excited about. I said, are you excited about this? No, maybe you ought to consider doing this. She got excited and she chose to leave. And we made a decision realizing I'm not going to be doing that anymore. This was in 2012, 2013. And we moved on. What's the moral of the story here with you? Once I made that adjustment, I made it very clear. Even people that I have a relationship with or a friendship with or an association with in the company, it was very simple. If they were out of line, it was very clear that, listen, I don't favor the decision that was made. If even family was out of line, I don't favor this decision that was made. Now, you have to be respectful, diplomatic, all of that. This is not being a jerk about it. But people then started realizing you don't favor people. Trust goes up because you're going to treat people fairly. Not equally because some of your guys are more important than others, but at least you're going to be fair. Favoring people, you're going to lose a lot of trust in your organization. Number 10, knowing who to take counsel from and who not to. Very critical. Let me explain. Everybody's going to give you advice. Everybody. So, for, for example, we started going through a phase which was like, so, we want to do a meeting and you guys give your advice on how we can make the company better. Because this is out of an article we read. It's so nice because it's great when everybody gives feedback. Give us your feedback on what you think. So, all of a sudden, this feedback, I think we're doing this wrong. I think we're doing that wrong. I think we're doing this wrong. And then all of a sudden, I'm sitting there saying, terrible idea. Who are you to tell us we're doing these things wrong? And then I realize credibility is what's predicated based on your advice being heard. You can put a lot of advice you want. By the way, again, what I'm saying, a lot of people are not going to agree with. Because if you go read Huffington Post, if you go read Fortune magazine or Money magazine written by these journalists, they say things like, you have to be willing to want to hear everybody wrong if you want to build a big organization because you could be taking advice from somebody that's never made more than $45,000 a year telling you how you're doing 10 different things wrong and then you're sitting there saying what am I doing this here for this makes no sense to me you can't lose your core so I started looking who is given the advice what is the credibility what is the expertise what is the background how long have you been here to know the culture to know what we stand for to know the history of it then I'm willing to take counsel from you. There's a lot of consultants when you start a business, when you become a CEO, you pay me $20,000, I'll be able to fix your problems for you. Ma'am, if you're so good at solving my problems for me, you would never be a consultant. You go run a company and be a CEO if you're such an expert. Why'd you become a consultant in the first place? You know, a lot of times people become consultants because they couldn't make it in the world of business. Running a business is not easy. All of these coaches, I'm a life coach. I'm doing all this other stuff. If you're so incredible at being a life coach, why don't you go build a company and have a couple hundred employees and sell it for a couple billion dollars? But that's not what I like to do. No, because you know it's hard. There's a big difference between talking about all these cultural articles, 19 points where people love each other and have autonomy and all these other things. Nice, great, sweet, looks very good in a utopian world where unicorns fly. When you're running a business, it's a completely different ballgame. You have to understand who to take advice from and who not to take advice from based on where they're at. Again, not a lot of people are going to agree with this, but I'm giving you the mistakes I made, and you can do whatever you want to do with it. Number 11, not studying data. So you're running, you're gunning. Now, some people are studying way too much data, and they forget about the emotional side of human side. There's human side. You cannot ever lose the human touch. Ever. You cannot ever have that conversation. I was having a conference call earlier this morning, and on this conference call, I'm talking to one of our executives, 
and he, he sounded defeated. And I'm going through it with them, and he reported numbers for their office on what they were doing, and it was the worst ever. So rather than taking the approach of just going data, 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 well, you didn't do this, and you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, I took a completely different approach. I said, listen, I want, you to understand, I want you to understand something here. I said, you know, I can give you 10 different things. I can give you five different things. But here's what I can tell you. You got an office with about 60 people that work, work there, right? He said, yes. I said, sometimes when you have something you face where it's a loss, right? And you get defeated, you lose. That defeated energy is felt by everybody. And you don't even know it. It's felt by your support, your customer service, your sales, your organizational people, your processors, everybody. You, you just gotta pick yourself up. I said, listen, how many times have I told you how much I respect you for your character, your values, who you are as a human, human being, as a father? This is a guy that never drank in his life. He's disciplined, church going, so kind to his wife, incredible kids. Every time I'm around his kids, I'm like, I wish my kids had more friends like their kids because their kids are incredible kids. Literally, I love this guy's kids. And I told him who he is as a human being. I said, listen, you lost, I got it. You ain't defeated though, and you gotta change that attitude. Go take a cold shower, make a list of 20 things that makes you special as a human being, remind yourself who you are, and then go do that to everybody around you because if you are defeated, your people around you are drained. They need to hear from you. He says, thank you so much for the counsel. I called him afterwards, we had a funny conversation. I said, did you take a cold shower already? Ha ha ha, not yet. Anyways, we took, took care of that and moved on. Here's the point though, going back to this. Not studying data. Set that emotional side aside, now go to the other side. So many times people don't look at their data. They look at their trends. They don't measure month to month. Sometimes people say, well, study data, predictive analytics. And people say, I have no idea what you're talking about. What do you mean by predictive analytics? What do you mean by data? I don't understand what you're saying. Really, I don't even know where to start. You gotta look at your numbers and measure all of them, specific to data, but you gotta study your numbers. All of it. Measure everything to everything, season to season, quarter to quarter, month to month, week to week, day to day. You will learn so much about the trends of your business. Number 12. Avoid hiring resume builders, mistake I made. So this whole idea of, well, you know what, why don't we hire people and train them here and develop them here and do this and do this and do that and we build them up. Home office support, not sales. Sales you gotta build sometimes. Sales, I want greenies. I'm not really looking for a guy that's been in sales for 20 years, because sometimes they come in and they, oh, they know everything, can't teach them everything. I'm talking home office support, right? So you hire resume builders. And so what you don't know about these 24-year-olds are coming here because they only want to work here for two years, get a couple raises, then use that raise and go shopping to other companies saying, this company pays me this much, are you willing to pay me 80? If you do, I'll leave. And then boom, they leave you. All that time into them, they left. Or they threaten you. They're offering me this, what are you going to give me? And then you are in a position where like, oh my gosh, this is kind of like, what is the situation I'm in? And it's kind of tough and you're kind of annoyed and you're not, but you do, you don't. You, is, are they a linchpin? Are they not a linchpin? So here's what I recommend you do. Many times you can't afford it when you're a new company. I fully get it. Believe me, I hired you know, people that I had to just bring on board to help me out of many different areas that we're not experts in. The goal is to get to a point where you don't just hire resume builders, depending on the kind of culture you want to build. You hire people that are already done that to two, three other companies, okay? They're coming to you because they want to stay. And they're at a number in the market where that's their value. It's not going to be a 50% spike anymore. They want to come to you and they want to work with you. Perfect. Now bring all the value that you learned to me. Rather than getting maybe a 24-year-old, you're getting a 36-year-old career, wife, kids, husband, settle down. They kind of need to get their part going. They need a little bit more stability than just risk to go all over the place. So avoid hiring resume builders. Avoid hiring resume builders. Next, 
a comp plan that doesn't produce the results you want. What do I mean by this? So many times I look at a company, they'll come down, a CEO will come here with their executive team or I'll do a call with them or something like that or they say, Pat, here's where I'm at. What do I do to drive my organization? I'll say, listen, let, show me your comp. I say, what do you mean? Show me all the executives you have and show me their comp plan. And then show me your salespeople you have and show me their comp plan. Show me your support team you have and show me their comp plan. I don't get what you're talking about. How do you pay them? Well, I just pay them like this. Well, that's the problem. Your comp plan sucks. Well, how do you want me to pay them? You gotta readjust. I have probably, and I'm not kidding with you, I've probably changed my comp plan probably 100 times. I've changed my comp plan. 100 times, you know why? Every time I was trying to find what produces the emotion and the results I want. Sometimes your comp plan could be the reason that some people are you know, cutting the line and breaking the rules and sometimes breaking the laws because it's affected by your comp plan. You gotta have a comp plan that produces exactly what you want from your employees, your staff, your support, your exec, and your salespeople. Number 14, experience talent equals money. Don't be cheap if you wanna get the right kind of talent. Maybe you get somebody that's cheap, but their talents are also cheap. If you wanna get some legitimate, quality, talented people that come with value to you, not you have to train them everything, sometimes you gotta cut that check. But by the way, normally when you're hiring people, a lot of times people hire for now. They hire for a month from now. They hire for two months from now. When it gets to a point where you really want to build an empire, you are hiring for a year from now. You are hiring for 18 months from now. You're not hiring just for a month. You know, we go through a lot of times with our businesses, different businesses that we have, and sometimes like, we need this person today, and then we need that person today, and we need this person today. It's crisis, crisis, crisis hiring. You're not hiring for 12 months. You got to hire 6, 12, 18 months. Similar to when you get a lease, you don't get an office space for what you need today you get an office space for what you need 12 months from now, 18 months from now. That's what you do. We got a big office space here, nearly 30,000 square feet, and guess what? We're not trying to get the next door space, we're negotiating to get another 15, 20,000 square feet because we grew. Now we've been here for about 18 months, so we did that properly, but we all of a sudden outgrew, we need to get more space. So the same as goes with space, the same goes with talent. And last but not least, micromanaging late. Let me explain. So, you'll read these books, articles, they'll make you feel guilty about micromanaging. Don't micromanage. A real leader doesn't need to micromanage. A real leader doesn't need to do this and all this other stuff. So typically what this is what people do. I just want you to know, I'm not the type of person that micromanages. I leave you alone. Yeah, but six months later after they break so many different things, then you start micromanaging. So this person's not used to you being that way. Rather, you micromanage upfront and you let go later and you trust them to make the right decisions because you micromanage them early on. And if you don't micromanage, if you don't hold people accountable, don't expect to get people hitting deadlines, hitting the numbers you want, the results you want. Thanks everybody for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick B. David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care everybody, bye-bye.